My friend, if you are saved and you're backslidden and you know you're backslidden, don't sin away your day of grace. Please run to Jesus today. Now, we're starting now the third message on the life of this fellow Jacob in the Old Testament. And you got to admit, he's quite a character, isn't he? He's quite amazing. He's kind of a mixture of uh, things uh, desirable and things not so desirable. He's got quite a life. And we found that uh, at a very young age, he was always trying to grab things. That's why they called him Jacob, Yaakov, the uh, heel grabber. Um, he, he cheated his brother kind of out of a birthright and blessing. And of course, his brother despised his own birthright. His brother was another Oh, real work, wasn't he? Esau was something else. We should do a, a small series one day on Esau. But we're focusing here on Jacob. And so in the last message, we learned that God in chapter 31 of Genesis told Jacob to go back to the promised land. And he specifically mentioned, go back to your kindred, go back to your folks, go back to your family. And that's, what God told Jacob to do. Well, on the way, he gets wind that uh, Esau is coming. And of course, Esau is the last um, confrontation he had with his brother. His brother was going to kill him for what he had done. And so over 20 years had gone by and he thought, oh boy, he's coming with 400 men. He's going to destroy me. And so he was in a predicament. And that night he wrestled with the angel of God. We learned about that. And we learned also that the blessings come when we just don't give up in prayer. I believe it was at this point in Jacob's life that he really got serious with God and got saved. It's a shame that people wait until they're ready to fall over the cliff before they finally call on God and get their hearts right with God. It's, it's so sad that as humans, we tend to wait to the very last moment before we cry out to almighty God. Folks, we should be in the habit of crying out to God at the first, at the beginning, not at the end. And so here's Jacob somewhere around 92 years of age wrestling with the angel. And this is where he prevailed. And I believe this is where he got saved because this is where God changes his name from Jacob, the heel grabber to Israel, the prince with God. So now we see this next segment here in the life of Jacob. And here we find that Jacob renders not full, but partial obedience to God. Now, does this sound like a familiar story? to us? Is this not where many of us live our lives that we tend to yield partial obedience to God? And this seems to be what Jacob is doing here. Now there are several tragic results and some important lessons for us to learn. And so I invite you now, please to bow your head once again, and let's have a word of prayer before we continue on in this study. Our loving father, 
We come to you as broken, needing to be repaired. We come to you as torn, needing to be mended and sewn back up. Our Father, we do ask that you would please help us today and instruct our hungry hearts. Holy Spirit of God, use the lessons from the life of Jacob to speak to us and to show us where we might be making a mistake. Heavenly Father, we do pray that if anyone today is watching and they have not yet given their lives to Jesus Christ, repenting of their sins and asking him to forgive their sins and to be their savior, we pray that today would be the day when they would be born again into your family. We pray also that if there be anyone watching who is saved, but is not living their life for you, they're backslidden. Father, call the wandering child home, not to heaven, but back to your side. Grant to them a repentance, grant to them revival. Bless us together, Heavenly Father, as we study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I put together a couple of maps, and I thought it would be good to take a look at uh, what we're talking about here in the Bible and where Jacob went and where these things happened. So I thought that would be helpful for us. And so, uh, fellas, put on the first map, map number one. Put that up for us, would you please? Now, here you can see... The map of Israel, you've got the Mediterranean Sea on the left, and you've got all that desert area kind of on the right. Up at the north, you've got this, what they call the Fertile Crescent, and then down sort of um, in the middle, kind of running down there, you have the Promised Land. And on the very bottom left, you've got Egypt. Well, it's very difficult to make out all of the names of the towns here, but you'll see that down there is Beersheba and Hebron, and this is the area here, Beersheba, especially where Abraham, Isaac uh, dwelt. Now, Abraham's journeys are represented by the red line. You see the red line starting on the right hand of the, uh, the picture, and it goes all the way up to a place called Haran, H-A-R-A-N. And there it works its way down into the promised land, down into Egypt, back up into the promised land. Those are the travels of Abraham. And then Isaac is uh, in purple, and he basically stayed right there in the promised land. But Jacob, Jacob is represented here as green, the green line. And you'll notice that he goes all the way up to the top, um, the very top of the screen. The letter E, you see that, A-B-C-D-E, the letter, the name Haran, under the E, Haran. You see that? That was where Laban lived. And that's where he married up with uh, Leah and Rachel. And he's there for 20 years. And then he works his way back. You see the green coming down to Damascus. And then instead of going to the left, he kind of comes more straight down. Now, if, if, you, if you look down further, down where it says Edom, close to the bottom of your map, and just up, you see a place called Seir, S-E-I-R. That's where his brother Esau was living. And so Esau and his 400 men came straight north right up to around that Bethel area. And that's where the confrontation was going to happen. So you put the map away there. And in chapter 33, uh, brother Howard read for us <coughs> the first five verses. And here we have the, 
the meeting here in verse four, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. What a difference. Jacob was expecting his brother to come and draw out his sword and cut him down, slice and dice him or something. That's what he was afraid of. And what I want you to note here is that even though Jacob got saved in chapter 32, he got born again and saved part of God's family, got a new name. His circumstances on earth did not change. His brother was still coming to meet him and he was still scared, but he had more intestinal fortitude. God strengthened him more to meet his brother. And as he ran to meet his brother, he bowed seven times. But what God did, I believe was he turned the heart of his brother and God loves to do this sort of thing. God loves to give you favor in certain people's eyes. And so this is what we seem to have here. Now they have this meeting and uh, uh, the exchange of gifts and so on. And so um, Esau says, follow me back, follow me back. And so uh, verse 14, here's Jacob. He says, let my Lord, I pray thee pass over before his servant and I will lead on softly according as the cattle that goeth before me and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord, unto seer. You see what Jacob is saying is Esau, you go ahead, you and all your men. I've got all of the, the children and the little lambs and so on. And we'll come softly until we finally meet up with you down South in seer. That was a lie. That's not where Jacob went. Even though Jacob got saved, somehow his old nature was still clinging onto him. Does that ever happen to you? Do you ever find yourself uh, doing certain things, thinking certain things, saying certain, certain things that you know aren't right? That's part of the old nature, isn't it? If you're born again. Boy, I tell you, here we have it here in the life of Jacob. He lies to his brother Esau about following him. And uh, maybe, maybe Jacob was thinking that the end justifies the means well, this will just get rid of my brother and I'll be safe over here. Maybe that's what he was thinking, but it was still wrong. And so what he did was uh, verse 16, Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. Verse 17, and Jacob journeyed to Succoth, Succoth, and built him a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, he named the place is called Succoth. It means booths. Uh, little houses. That's what it means here. Now I have another uh, picture, another map. I want to show you fellas, put that up here. Now here I have for you uh, a map of the Holy land. You see all of the names of the cities. And what I did was I did a, an enlargement on the right. And I just uh, mentioned six of those cities. So you can see on the right, on the top, right, you've got Succoth and Penuel and Penuel is where he, um, um, met with God and then later with his brother. And then his brother goes down South and then he goes over to Succoth. That's where he went was to Succoth. And then from there, he crosses over to a place called Shechem, Shechem. And we're going to be talking about that. Now, God had called him uh, right down to uh, Beersheba or Hebron, 
the place where his family was. But what Jacob ends up doing is he goes over there to Shechem, as we will see. All right, you can put that away for the moment. Now, I wonder what Esau felt about Jacob's new religion after he just got lied to. There's Esau, and he came and he made up with his brother, thinking, I could have killed the rascal, but I didn't. I forgave him. I hugged him. I kissed his neck. Then he told me he was going to follow me back, back to my place. So I, I left I, and I went. And what does he do? He turns and goes another direction. He had no intention of coming to see me. I wonder what Esau thought about Jacob's religion after that. Folks, actions speak louder than words. When you say yes to something, you need to be a man or woman of your word. Unless somehow you're providentially hindered, but then you need to get in touch with that person and explain it. That doesn't appear to be what Jacob did here in this, in this particular instance. Now look at verse 18. And Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. And he came from Padanaram and pitched his tent before the city And here's what he did. And he bought a parcel of field. He bought some real estate where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father for a hundred pieces of money. So that's what he did. He goes now to Shechem. And um, I have a picture for you. I want you to see the archeologists have, dug up what they believe is Shechem. And it's not a huge, huge city. It's not as big as the city of Surrey, that's for sure. But it is a nice little town there. And it had walls, as you can see. But in the center top, I've circled, I've circled a bunch of stones. And that seems to be the palace where this fella, uh, Shechem and his father, that was like the king and the prince. That's, that was their palace right there. And so this was the town of Shechem. That's what it looks like today. You can see in the very bottom lower right, there's a little green automobile parked there in the parking lot. Well, that wasn't there in Jacob's day. This is a modern day photograph of what uh, Shechem would have looked like. Okay, we're done with that. Thank you. Now Shechem back in uh, Jacob's day was a well-watered place. It was a good looking place. And Jacob knew that. And so he comes over the, uh, the, the Jordan kind of river and he comes over that. And uh, there he sees uh, Shechem and with its rich pastures. And so what he did was he got himself some land. He bought some land right close to the city. And basically what he did was he chose it for what he could see. And that's a mistake. You see, God didn't tell him to go to Shechem, did he? God told him to go back to your homeland and back to your people. I want you to go there. That's where I want you to go. And what Jacob did was after lying to his brother is he went and he bought real estate and set up his family and started putting down roots near Shechem. Shechem, I don't think was a godly place at all. 
You remember reading in the Bible about Lot, Abraham's nephew. And this happened, you know, hundreds of a hundred years. Anyhow, before all of this took place. And there was Lot who separated himself from Abraham. He should never have done that. And he went and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Toward Sodom. And because of the well-watered plains, it looked beautiful. Lot chose Sodom for what he could see. He should never have left Abraham. He should stuck with Abraham and worked out any problems. Stayed with that man of God. But he didn't. He separated. And he chose what he could see. And that was his mistake. And this is also the mistake here that Jacob made. Jacob decided he would stay there in Shechem. And I believe that Shechem was a wicked and immoral place. And this is what we call partial obedience. And God is never impressed with partial obedience. Now put your finger there or a little bookmark in Genesis. And I want you to go over to first Samuel. Turn to first Samuel there now with me. Would you please first Samuel after Deuteronomy, Joshua judges, uh, and Ruth, you're going to get first Samuel and go to chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15. And we have here the story of King Saul. And King Saul uh, lived at the same time as the prophet Samuel. Samuel was a very godly man, incredibly godly man. And in first Samuel chapter 15, we find God's will for Saul, King Saul. And it's very simple. God says in verse three here, God says, now go and smite Amalek, Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant, suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. You say, wow, that's, that's pretty thorough. That was God's perfect will for this man at that time. This is what he was supposed to do. What does King Saul do? Look at verse nine. Saul and the people spared Agag. That was the king and the best of the sheep and the, of the oxen and of the fatlings and lambs and all that was good. And would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed. So you see there again, Saul is making decisions based upon what he can see. And he thinks, Ooh, this is good. I won't destroy that. And yet God said, destroy it all. Now we come to verse 11 and God is speaking to Samuel and says, it repenteth me that I've set up Saul to be king for he has turned back from following me. And that's exactly what partial obedience is turning back from following God and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried unto the Lord all night. And finally he has to say these sad words to, to, to Saul. Samuel has to say these words to Saul in verse, verse number 22, Samuel said, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord behold to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken. That means hearken to God and to hearken than the fat of Rams. Now watch this for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Boy, that's an eye opener and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. 
Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. That's a pretty hard pill to swallow. That is very, very sad news that came to Saul who had such a promising beginning. He was doing good things, but there somewhere in his life, he turned back from fully following the Lord. And that's what we seem to have here in the life of of Jacob. Now, folks, you can't turn back and not pay for it. You can't render partial obedience and not suffer some kind of consequence. That's just the way it is. There are always consequences to partial obedience and God will punish the sin in a Christian as well as in a non-Christian. Listen, just a few years ago, it happened in Surrey. I think in South Surrey, there was a young 13 year old boy named Matthew who was doing some skateboarding. Now, young kids, they love this sport skateboarding, but it can be dangerous. That's why they make protective gear the helmet and for elbows and wrists and knees. They make this protective gear so that you, you won't be critically hurt when you fall off your skateboard. Well, according to the young kids, after you get kind of good at the skateboard, that protective gear just gets in the way and you don't want to really wear it. And so I'm sure that this young boy, whose name was Matthew, I'm sure that his parents would remind him, Matthew, Wear your helmet, wear your helmet. Okay, 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 mom. But he didn't wear his helmet. And this one particular day, Matthew suffered a fall off of his skateboard and struck his head. And so he walked home and and told his mom about it and said he felt kind of dizzy. Well, they took him to the hospital and they rushed him to the emergency children's after that. And he died that very night of head injuries. If only he had worn his helmet. If only those are probably two of the saddest words. Huh? If only, you know, someone goes to the doctor after a long time, they're struggling with some kind of inner pain. They put it off and put it off. They finally go to the doctor and the doctor looks at them and says, you know, if only you had come sooner, we could have done something about this. If only, if only two pretty sad words. If you ask me, if only Jacob would have repented quickly, God says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more in Jeremiah 31. God also says in Isaiah 43, I, even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. You know, God would have forgiven Jacob's sins. God loves to forgive sin and God would have forgiven Jacob's sins. And God promises us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it seems that Jacob wouldn't do that. It seems that Jacob wouldn't go back to fully obeying the Lord. It seems that 
Jacob refused. And so there came some consequences. Now look at chapter 34 of Genesis chapter 34 of Genesis verse one. Well, before I get to that, I want you to see the results of the partial partial obedience. I want you to see these consequences because, you know, as we study the timeline, Jacob had been in Shechem, not for a day, a week, a month or a year. He'd been there 10 years now, 10 more years go by. And Jacob is about 102 years of age and his children are all growing up or most of them. A couple of them are still teenagers and God allowed Jacob to suffer. You see, God always gives sufficient time to repent. And when people don't repent, then he has to allow them to suffer. Second Peter three, nine says that God is long suffering. Oh, that is true. Beloved. He is. Did you know that he gave the early world 120 years to repent before he sent the flood? Did you know that he gave the Amorites and Canaanites upwards of 400 years to repent and get right with God before he finally sent in Israel to take, take over the land. But there comes a time when man sins away his day of grace. Proverbs 29, one says he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy, my friend, if you are saved and you're backslidden and you know, you're backslidden, don't sin away your day of grace. Please run to Jesus today. You don't know what might befall you tomorrow. He that being often reproved and the Holy spirit is trying to get your attention over and over and over, maybe using little hammers on your head and all the while you're saying, no, no, no. The final big hammer may come. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. It would seem that Jacob kept saying no to God's tender pleadings. He refused to fully obey God. Now look at verse one. And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob. And Dinah would have been approximately 15 years of age, maybe a little less, maybe a little more, but she was right there in the flower of her youth, a very pretty, nice, sweet, innocent, virgin, young girl. And Dinah went out to see the daughters of the land. Dinah went into Shechem to start checking out how all of the, the other girls in Shechem were living and to see what kind of music they were listening to and to see what kind of clothes they were wearing and to see what kind of behavior they were indulging in. She went out to see the daughters of the land. This isn't good folks. And this is where Jacob is about to get his heart broken and tragedy was about to strike in his home. Did you know the Bible says in first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. 
Christian mom, Christian dad, your son, your daughter growing up under your roof. They may be exhibiting good manners, good Christian manners. But if you allow them to get mixed up in things of the world, they will be corrupted. Many a young person having grown up with good values, good morals, they're saved off to some worldly university. They go only to have the men and women, the professors destroy their faith in the Bible, destroy their faith in God and to have other worldly young people influence them to start dressing in sensual dress and, and speaking in a, a vile kind of manner that would, would make a saint blush. I'm not making this up. This happens over and over and over again. It was just about to happen here to Jacob. Matthew Henry was a godly preacher. He lived and died in the late 1600s, early 1700s. He was a godly man who wrote a commentary. That's what he's best known for. Matthew Henry's commentary. And here's what he said. Here's what Matthew Henry said. Now this is in his day. This is over 300 years ago. Listen, humans have not changed. Matthew Henry said, young persons, especially females are never so safe and well off as under the care of pious parents. That means godly parents, their own ignorance and the flattery of wicked people who are ever laying snares for them, expose them to great danger. They are their own enemies. If they desire to go abroad, especially alone among strangers to true, to true religion. In other words, ungodly people. Those parents are very wrong who do not hinder their children from needlessly exposing themselves to danger. Indulged children like Dinah often become a grief and shame to their families. Her pretense was to see the daughters of the land, to see how they dressed, how they danced, what was fashionable among them. She went to see, yet that was not all. She went to be seen as well. She went to get acquaintance with the Canaanites and to learn their ways. See what came of Dinah's wandering. The beginning of sin is as letting forth of water. How great a matter does a little fire kindle. We should carefully avoid all occasions of sin and approaching to it. That was written over 300 years ago, and it's still as true today as ever. Well, there's some advice to young people. Look what happens here. Verse two. And when Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. She got raped. She got violently taken. Wow. Dinah thought she could play with fire and not get burned. Bad company always influences. It always does. It always does. Lot went into Sodom 
And Sodom went into Lot. And he got badly influenced by the things he saw and heard. Samson went into Delilah and got badly influenced and ended up losing his strength. Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son had a bag of money and went off to a far country. Before he knew it, it was all spent. And then a famine hit and he was forced to go and feed pigs. That's not a good job for a young Jewish boy. But he thought that he could get into a far country and have a good time. Let's stop looking for our deep friendships among the world. How about that? That's a good lesson right there. God straightly warns us in Galatians 5, 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. Lot, Mr. Lot. Don't think you can mock God with your backslidings and not have to pay for it. Because you know he paid dearly for it. Samson, don't think you can mock God with your backslidings and not have to pay for it. Young prodigal, don't think you can mock God with your backslidings and not have to pay for it. Now listen, if having your, your, your only daughter raped isn't bad enough, then how about having two of your boys taking the law into their own hands? Look at verse 13. And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father deceitfully. Now the in-between story here is that Shechem says, I want to marry that girl. And they come and sit down with Jacob and his family. Well, we want to marry her. We'll give you a lot of money. And so here are the, these two boys here two of the sons of Jacob. They said, because he had defiled Dinah, their sister, verse 14, they said, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised for that were a reproach unto us. But in this will, we consent unto you. If he will be as we, that every male of you be circumcised, then we will give our daughters unto you and we will take your daughters to us and we will dwell with you and we will become one people. That was a lie. They lied, but if he will not hearken to us, then we're gone. Verse 18, the words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. Well, the boys took matters into their own hands. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath for it is written. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So what happened in verse 25, it came to pass on the third day when they were sore. These are the, all the men of the city of Shechem. They'd been circumcised and they were in too much pain to even get out of bed. That two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. What a crime a crime done in the name of religion, a crime. These two, listen, that's happening all throughout history. Men and women are still committing atrocious crimes in the name of religion and in the name of Christianity. Even I remember when I was a boy growing up in the Anglican church, there were these other two boys I knew from school and they were rascals, but they showed up every time there was communion 
because the minister used real alcoholic wine and they would piously go forward and take as big a gulp as they could. That's all they wanted was just a, a shot of alcohol. That was the only reason they went forward under the pretense of being pious only to get something else. I think that these modern day faith healers and some of these modern day so-called evangelists, these uh, prosperity gospel evangelists, they, they preach for the offerings. They're not preaching for Christ. They want the money. Simeon and Levi made God's covenant, the circumcision. They made God's covenant, a cloak for their sin. Now I wonder what the people of the land would think of God. Now, some people say that the cults, the Christian cults are the worst hindrance of Christianity, but I don't think so. I think the worst hindrance to Christianity is the backslidden, hard hearted, critical Christian who fulfills his or her lusts under the cloak of religion. Karl Marx was the father of communism. And he said, I would have been a Christian if it wasn't for Christians. Jacob reaped what he had sown. He sowed disobedience to God and he reaped disobedience in the lives of his children. King David did the same thing with Bathsheba. And he reaped after that in second Samuel 12, 14, Nathan, the prophet said, because of this deed, thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme my backslidden friend. When your unsaved neighbors and friends watch you, they say, huh, I knew it. There's nothing to their religion, nothing to what they claim. You give them occasion to blaspheme because of a backslidden lifestyle. Both you and I will reap heartache if we do not fully follow the Lord. Now we're coming to the end of the story in verse 30. Jacob sits down here with his boys and he said to Simeon and to Levi, look at what he says. This is unbelievable. He doesn't take his boys to task for having broken the law. This is what he says. Ye have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me. And I shall be destroyed. I and my house. You see, he was only concerned about himself. Jacob. I think Jacob should have fallen on his face before God. He didn't rebuke his boys here. He was only concerned about himself. That's sad. None of this would have happened. Dinah would never have been raped. These boys would never have broken the law. Had Jacob only obeyed God from the start. Well, we have to finish up here, folks. And what you and I need to do is crown Jesus King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's no other way around it. If, if you're not living every day for Jesus Christ, then you're no better than a husband who says, well, I love my wife three or four days out of seven. What kind of husband would say a thing like that or a wife? Well, I love my husband 
three or four days out of seven. Well, that's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? And so is a Christian that says, well, I obey the Lord in most things. Do you really? Oh, I believe with all my heart, if we're going to see great things happen, we need to hear the voice of the Lord in one week's time. We're having a revival with an evangelist. I want you to stay tuned for that announcement. We need to get our hearts ready now, folks. We need to go to God and say, Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do? You know, God always blesses obedience. Always, always. It's always been that way. He always blesses obedience. There's a story told in the early 1800s of a man in Philadelphia that was looking for work and he was walking the streets, going into businesses, looking for work. Do you have any work? Do you need anyone? And he went into the office of one businessman named Stephen Girard, G-I-R-A-R-D, Girard. And he asked, do you, do you need any workers? Do you, do you need any help? And Mr. Girard said, yes, I do. He said, Pointing out, out through his window, he said, do you see that big pile of bricks in the far end of the yard? Man said, yeah. He says, I need you to move all those bricks to this end of the yard. He said, okay. And so he went and he worked all day moving those bricks to the other end of the yard. He came back and said, Mr. Gerard, I'm all done. Mr. Gerard paid him. He said, do you have any more work for me, Mr. Gerard? Mr. Gerard said, yes. Come tomorrow morning. And I need you to move all those bricks back to the other end of the yard. The man said, I'll be here. And so he shows up the next morning, bright and early, and he works all day and he moved all those bricks back to the other end of the yard. And he came in and he said, Mr. Gerard, I'm all done. And Mr. Gerard said, thank you. It was a good job and paid him. Mr. Gerard, do you need anything more done? He says, yes, I do. He says, tomorrow morning, I need all those bricks moved back to this end of the yard. Man said, I'll be here. This went on for a whole week. Every day he was moving the bricks one way, then moving them the other way. Until Mr. Gerard could see that this man could be trusted, that this man would do what Mr. Gerard would tell him to do. And when he finished that day, he said, Mr. Gerard, I'm all done. Is there anything else you need done? And he said, yes, I have a different job for you tomorrow morning. Show up bright and early. And he came. And he said, I want you to go downtown and I want you to bid on a large quantity of sugar for me. And so the man said, sure. And he went and no one recognized him. No one knew him. And when he made the bid and it was the winning bid, they were all amazed at this stranger. And they asked him, who's going to pay? And the man said, Mr. Stephen Gerard will pay. I am his agent. God always blesses obedience. And if you and I will show ourselves obedient with the smaller things like tithing, like supporting the missionaries, are you saved? But are you baptized by immersion the way Jesus was baptized? Are you saved and baptized? But are you a member of God's church? Have you been voted in a membership? These are the little things. And if we will show ourselves faithful in the little things, it'll please God so much to give us the bigger blessings. You know what you and I need to do 
is we need to go to God right now. Maybe in your life, there's been some disobedience. Maybe you've not been obeying God the way he's asked you to. Would you tell God in prayer right now, you're sorry, ask his forgiveness and tell him you'll be about his business. Tell him that you'll be about obeying him from here on in. Would you do that? Would you close your eyes now and bow your head in a word of prayer? Heavenly father, I thank you for everyone who's bowed in prayer right now. Lord, you see our hearts. I pray for everyone who has a heart that's saying, here am I, Lord. Here am I. I pray for that one or, or more who's not been properly obedient. Maybe they haven't been having their daily devotions the way they're supposed to be. Maybe they've been hit and miss in their church attendance too. Maybe they'll come to Sunday mornings, but they'll not come to Sunday evenings just because they'd rather watch something else on television. But today they realize that's a mistake. Lord, I pray you would accept their prayers. You would forgive their sins. Father, that you would comfort and encourage your people. That you would bring about the Holy Spirit in such revival waves over our soul. That when the evangelist gets here next week, there's really nothing much for him to do because we've met with God. We've been revived. Heavenly Father, answer our prayers and bless your people. And if there be one who's watching, who's not yet born again, please encourage them right now to repent of their sins. And right now, to receive Jesus Christ as their sin bearer, their savior, their Lord, and their coming King. In Jesus name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's word.